We are going to be in the book of James. You can turn there with me. And uh, so glad that you're here this morning. As you know, uh, our, uh, uh, many of our gals are, are gone, not all of them, obviously. And so uh, we're so thankful that you, that you came, especially you guys that uh, toughed it out, brought the kids anyway, didn't just sit at home. So glad that you're, that you're here this morning and uh, a part of this. And so I, I had a, uh, an interesting uh, weekend as well with my four kiddos. I'm normally uh, working hard at the, at the end of the week and, and through the weekend. I take Mondays off normally with, with my family and, and part of Saturday, or I'm sorry, part of Sunday, obviously. And so my week got moved around a little bit, but I'm, I'm excited to be here and uh, I made it. I made it. So I'm, I'm excited that I, I didn't die in the process. I was pretty sure I wouldn't, but um, we're going to be in the book of James and we're going to be talking through uh, what this means. I'll just tell you a couple of things real quick. One of those is that I have not loved uh, the book of James. Not that I don't love the scriptures. I love the scriptures, but I, in all honesty, uh, this book has always been hard for me. It's, it's been kind of difficult. I think it's because I was kind of raised in a legalistic environment. I was re- raised in a religious environment. Even my parents today would say, okay, yeah, we were kind of legalistic. My, parent, my dad was a pastor, and, and we were a, a part of a church, and, and we really bought into a, uh, a theology of works in some ways, even though we would deny that. But uh, at the same time, there was this idea that somehow I had to be good in order for God to love me. And so uh, the book of James sometimes gives me that feel that it's like, I, this, this feels like I've got to be good in order for God to love me. In fact, Martin Luther, uh, the great reformer, not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther, the religious figure in history who uh, began the Reformation uh, and and parted ways with the Catholic Church, uh, he really loved uh, the Apostle Paul's letters. Uh, They're called the the epistles. Um, He really loved uh, Pauline theology uh, because Paul uh, vehemently and regularly attacked this idea that somehow I can be acceptable to God by what I do. However, he did not deny that works should be a part of a person's life. But what he was vehement to communicate is that it is not through works that I get in with God. It's not through the good things that I do. It's not by giving to the church. It's not by being nice. It's not by doing all of those things. It's only by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that I'm able to get to God. Now, James comes alongside, and James doesn't say the opposite, but Martin Luther really felt like he did. Martin Luther did not see how they could go together, and he really had an issue with this. It's a very uh, famous uh, uh, disparity, I suppose, that he had with the book of James. And so he had an issue with it because he felt like, I feel like it's telling me that I need to be good in order for God to love me. And what the, the truth is is that James... And the Pauline epistles, the Apostle Paul's letters, his scripture, James's scripture, they go together. They're complementary to one another. And James does not deny that it's only through Christ uh, that, we, that we get to God. What he says is that our works are proof of that. Our works show that we are walking with God. We have called this series, James, Don't Follow Your Heart. And the reason is this, is because so many times in today's world, I mean in secular culture, in uh, any type of culture that, that, we're, that we're involved in, uh, and in addition to that, Christian culture, evangelical culture, sometimes even picks up this idea of, oh, you should follow your heart. You should just follow your heart wherever it takes you because that must be where God is leading you. The problem with that is that oftentimes what's going on is that my feelings are in the driver's seat. It's against the word of God. It's against God's wisdom. And yet I still think, well, God must be leading me because I, I feel this way. And so therefore I should do this. The problem with that is that the heart is deceitful above all else, the scriptures say. Our hearts are deceitful. They're lying to us. They're not telling us the truth. They're not telling us what we need to hear. And oftentimes what happens is that it's telling us the exact opposite. I remember talking to someone when they said, every time I talk to this particular person in my life, they give me bad advice. And when I look at their life, I see how they screwed up their life. And so from now on, every time I, look to, every time I ask them for advice, I'm just going to do the exact opposite. And, so, and, and maybe I'll get some things right then. 
And I believe that he, that he was right in that. But here's the thing with us, is that oftentimes our hearts are telling us the opposite of what actually needs to take place, because our hearts have been affected by the fall. And in fact, our feelings, how we feel, has been affected by the fall. Our culture is so much about how we feel and, and our heart. In fact, I've been reading a couple of articles, and it's just a fascinating study uh, that's been done uh, over the last little bit. And it, it, this, this article essentially says that basically uh, over uh, recent history, um, there have been three different types of culture. There has been this culture of honor. And in that culture, there were no laws. There, there was no way to necessarily arrest somebody or, or, or something like that. And so it was a culture of honor. And essentially, honor was earned. And so you had to go after, you had to prove yourself. And if someone impugned your honor, if they took advantage of you or something like that, you had to de decide whether you were going to go engage with them, fight them, shoot them, something along those lines. Think of duels uh, with guns or swords or what have you. But then we move on from there. The West is settled and something happens and that is that the law comes in. And law comes in and so they said that this culture was a culture of dignity. And so honor is assumed and if your honor has been impugned, you can either decide to take it to the courts or you can just let it go. But they said this, they said our culture has gone along in such a way that as we've gone a little bit further, what we've come to is we've come to a new type of culture. Well, what takes place is this, is that your feelings are the most important thing. Your feelings are the most important thing. And so what happens is this, is that on college campuses and throughout our world, especially in the United States, what's going on is this, is that there's these little microaggressions that get exploded into massive aggressions. Something that would have been looked over years ago today is basically blown up into this huge thing because our culture uh, believes that feelings and the heart and, and, and who you are is so tender and so established by everyone's thoughts and feelings about you that we've created a new culture and it's called victimhood culture. So that what we have to do is we have to say this, we have to, we have to treat everyone with such care that we, just, we don't we don't want to create a victim here. Now, I'm not saying that past cultures were better. Oh, we should go back to that time when we were just shooting each other. We should go back to that time when law was very unfair and racism was thick throughout our society. It's, those are bad times as well. What I'm saying is this, is that it doesn't matter what we do as a culture. We're always messed up. We're always trying to find a way to fix things, and we're always trying to find a way to do this. But every time we get to this point where, you know what, we should just be able to kill whoever we want because they took something from us, or we should, we should just be able to do this and everybody has honor, or we should just be able, it's always messed up. Why? Because we are messed up people. All of us are messed up people. All of us have a sin problem. And so what we have asserted in today's culture is that your feelings matter most. Your feelings are the most important thing. And you know what? Your feelings are lying to you. Your feelings are lying to you. I'm not saying that you should overlook them altogether because feelings are like an indicator light in your car. It's like when the oil light goes off, that's a good time to say, you know what, we should probably check on that. Our feelings are an indicator as to how things are running in our lives. It doesn't mean that we negate them, but it does mean this. Feelings tell us what's going on in our heart. I begin to feel this way, and my feelings are begin to, beginning to do this. But oftentimes, our feelings also get in the driver's seat, and they say, this is how we're going to fix this problem. But our feelings are lying to us. Our feelings are lying to us. Our heart is lying to us. And so what James is going to tell us is James is going to tell us how to not follow our heart. Now, who am I speaking to here? I'm speaking to anybody. This, this letter is written to Christians that have been dispersed throughout a large area. And essentially, James is speaking to a group of people who are essentially uh, religious refugees. And these religious refugees are people who are, who are being persecuted they're running throughout uh, the world trying to get away from this persecution. And so they're scattered. It's going to call them the dispersion. 
And basically, James is saying, he's talking to God's people, and he's saying this. He's saying, listen, you need to understand something. You're in a world that doesn't operate the way that we should operate. And you can't just pick those things up and just take them and run with them. You can't take secular culture and say, that's what I need, and I'm going to put that into my life. But that's often what we're doing. That's often what we're doing. And as a result, what's taking place is this, is that we end up being Christians that may know the gospel. And the gospel is the good news about God, that God says this, your sins don't count if you trust in me. If you trust in Jesus Christ to be the one who actually took on your sins, uh, you get to have a clean slate, nothing held against you. You're completely uh, bought. You're completely redeemed. You don't have to come to God and say, um, I... I I, I, I really wish you'd accept me because here's the thing. God accepts you when you trust in Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel is. We may be people that know the gospel, but the problem is, is that the, the gospel isn't affecting how we live. The gospel isn't transforming me because of this. I'm still being motivated and being directed by my heart. My heart is moving me and directing me and, and causing me to be like this or, or do that because I, I feel this. You've made me a victim and so therefore you shouldn't do that because that's what our culture is. And so I should raise up in arms and, and take you on. I should create some kind of campaign. Let's have a culture war. Let's take on all of these people that disagree with us and let's, it just goes on and on and on. And so here we are, we have a lot of us, let me just include myself in this, every single one of us needs the book of James because the book of James is going to tell us something. Like if you say that this is true, then there should be evidence. If you say that you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you say that you're a Christian and that you have a relationship with God, like there should be tangible results that are taking place in your life. But too often, something happens. Our heart hijacks the process. Let's get into the passage. I'm going to read all the way through verse 18. Um, the chances of us getting all the way through that are low, but we will read it anyway. Okay. Chapter 1, verse 1 of James says this. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is James? James is Jesus' brother. He's really his half-brother because Jesus didn't have an earthly father. He had a heavenly father. He was born of a virgin. So Mary was his mother, and James, uh, James's mother was also Mary, but his father was Joseph in a human sense. And so James is the brother of Jesus, and Scripture kind of indicates that he didn't really believe his brother. He was like, hey, if, if, if this is who you say you are, then you should go show them your your special miracles or whatever, if that's who you really are, kind of a deal. But it seems like after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, James came around. Jesus hangs out with him. And James all of a sudden says about his brother, who seemed a little crazy at first, man, this guy's got a Messiah complex. What the heck gives with my brother? You know, and he's having uh, problems. And now he's calling his brother his, uh, his Lord and the Christ. He's saying he's the top. He's the one who leads me. I wish my brother would do this for me as well. But uh, he says to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, as I said, it's talking about Israel. And what we can say about that is that the church, God's church, is included. They were aliens. Many of us who are Gentiles, not Jews, were included in Israel. Now we get to be a part of the, all the promises and everything that's going on there. So James, in a Jewish sense, he's speaking to Israel and really the true Israel. The true Israel are those people who have placed faith in God through Jesus Christ the way that Abraham has done this as well. He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and therefore everyone else who believes in God and says, I believe you, I, is counted in with God's people, Israel. So that's what that means right there. Verse two, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith 
produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach or without finding fault. And it will be given him, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man or woman, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it, it, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now this passage, uh, one of the main reasons why it's perhaps frustrated me over the years is that it begins with this uh, considerate all joy or count it all joy. And really, one of my most uh, hated songs is uh, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Can't stand that song, all right? I'm, I'm, I'm a happy person, but I just don't like that song because uh, it's, it's kind of telling me what to do. But here we go with James, and he's kind of, uh, you know, I just have an authority problem with uh, songs like that. But um, I, uh, I just have a problem with it because I just go, what am I supposed to do? In the midst of devastating circumstances, would you just take a second and think about the most devastating circumstance in your life? A relationship that you lost, someone who died, something that took place. Let's talk about the absurdity here real quick as to how ridiculous it is to say to somebody, hey, uh, you should be joyful over that loss. Uh, how would you hurt that person? Would you... Uh, would you gouge their eyes? I mean, what, what, what would, you, would you punch them in the nose? What would happen? I mean, there have been some circumstances in my life at different times where someone has read me that verse and I've just been like, get out of my face, right? This is annoying. But what, what he's going to tell us here is he's going to tell us like this is a solution to trials, to trouble, to things that happen in our lives. And it's many faceted. I mean, it can be a literal trial. It can be something that's just going on and someone's coming after you and they're trying to take advantage of you or they're trying to sue you. It can be a temptation. It can be deep loss. It can be the daily frustrations that are going on in your life. Do you understand what it takes to become someone who's growing in Jesus Christ? Now, it's going to say uh, perfect and complete here in just a second. That's talking about God's holiness. That's talking about the standard. But here's the thing. You will never make progress towards that. You will never be perfect in its fullness until you see Jesus eventually in heaven. But God's goal for us is still to become perfect people. And so the question has to be, what are the steps that I need to do in order to become somebody who's growing in Jesus Christ? Like, what do I need to take on? Like, we have to look at ourselves and say, is there any objective evidence that would say that somehow I'm growing in God and that somehow I'm becoming somebody who is progressively getting better? I'm not perfect. In fact, I know all about my flaws and I know that Jesus has forgiven me for every single one of those. I know that Jesus is on my side. I know that he is incredible and that's fantastic. I know about all of my problems, 
but I am progressively getting better. I'm progressively getting better. I'm progressively doing this. What sideswipes our growth oftentimes is being unaware that trials are coming, that trouble is coming, that temptation is coming, and as a result, we do nothing and we lay in wait. And we will be ambushed and someone will die. Someone will reject you. You will lose everything. And if you have some kind of prosperity, thin gospel that says that as long as I'm good, God will bless me. As long as I do good things, God will, God will bless me. As long as this happens, then that will happen. As long as I keep uh, doing things for God, God has to keep doing things for me. Here's the thing. It doesn't happen that way all the time. It doesn't. It doesn't. And, and James is going to tell us this. What's he going to tell us? He's going to say this. He's going to say that steadfastness has to be secured in your life. Steadfastness is essentially saying, I am, am, am going to hold out. I'm going to bear up in the face of difficulty. I'm going to be here. I'm not moving. I'm staying here. Come hell or high water, this is where I'm at. Come and get me. That's what steadfastness is, but we oftentimes don't know how to get there. I read a story uh, a while ago about this, this soldier. He's called a Gurkha, and Gurkhas are in the British Army, and they are soldiers from Nepal. And so they're uh, uh, people from Nepal that are, that are in the British Army. And it was this fantastic story about this soldier um, whose name was uh, Deprosid Sun. Or, I'm sorry, Deprosid uh, Pun. He was 31 years old, and he won uh, the second highest award in Britain. And this award came to him because he was standing at a post in Afghanistan. And he was in this compound, or he was in this area... And the whole thing came under attack, and he's by himself. And the article says this. It says um, that he fought off more than 30 Taliban fighters. The soldier fired more than 400 rounds, launched, launched 17 grenades, and detonated a mine to thwart the Taliban assault on his checkpoint. At one point, after exhausting all his ammunition, he had to use the tripod of his machine gun to beat away a militant who was climbing the walls of his compound. It says he was spurred on by the belief that he was going to die. And so he had nothing to lose but to take on these attackers. He said this, at the time, I wasn't worried. There wasn't any choice but to fight. The Taliban were all around the checkpoint. I was alone. He said, I had so many of them around me that I thought I was definitely going to die. So I thought I'd kill as many of them as I could before they killed me. And this is what they wrote on the award. It said this, Pun could never know how many enemies were attempting to overcome his position, but he sought them out from all angles, despite the danger, consistently moving towards them to reach the best position of attack. And he said this, that was at the beginning of his deployment. He said, after, after that, he, was, he just said, I just thought they didn't have the will to fight, and I wasn't scared anymore. I wasn't scared of it. What's steadfastness? It's going to resonate more with our guys than with our girls. But I want to tell you, it's, it's saying this. It's putting life in perspective. And it's saying, I'm going to die anyway. This life isn't all that there, there is. A Christian believes that this, that this life is only the first life. We have eternity with Jesus and so what do I have to lose? What can man do against me? Satan can't overcome me. Jesus has overcome him. And so we stand and we fight. And when we, when we run out of bullets, we use our tripod. And we stand and we fight and we stand and we fight. And this is steadfastness. It's the capacity to sit there and withstand what's coming against you. Now, I want to ask you, like, are you in this 
for some other reason other than developing this perfection, this completeness in Christ that comes about because of this steadfastness that's being rooted in you, or have you been about something else altogether? Like, did you come to God thinking, I just need my life to get better, or did you come to God saying, listen, you're the only one who's right. You have the words of life. You're the living water. You're the bread that I need for sustenance. How did you come to God? Where is the evidence that says that you are his? And if you're really going to be his, and if that's who you are, then do you want to bail when the fight gets bad? Do you want to run? Do you want to lay down and duck for cover? Or do you want to be somebody who's steadfastly in this thing? Because I want to tell you, I want to tell you, what passes as American Christianity is not steadfastness. What passes for American Christianity is oftentimes not steadfastness. It's not with the goal of this perfection, this completeness. It's with the goal of saying, I just want to be a little bit better than my friends in this Christian religion. And you know what this leads to? A slack attitude towards all things. It's going to get you nowhere, and you're going to be sideswiped by disaster. It's going to come. I see it. I hear about it every day. Those are the phone calls that I get. Life is falling apart. My world is coming unglued. The wheels are falling off. And I just want to tell you, are you going to be sideswiped or are you going to be somebody who is steadfast? You've got to answer that question. So how do we become steadfast? How do we become somebody who's, who's able to withstand what's going on? He says, count it all joy, my brothers. And what does he mean by that? He says, listen, when you come into a trial, what needs to happen is you've got to be able to look at that situation and disengage for a second. Not completely, but disengage. And just because oftentimes the disaster hits. I can't imagine if one of my children were to die. I'm trying to think of one of, one of the worst things that could happen, or my wife, or, or something like that. What am I going to do in that situation? I have to take a step back and, 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 and count something. I have to consider something. I have to think about what's going on. What is, what is going on in my life right now? What's taking place? I have to take this step back, and I have to think about something. I have to think about my feelings. And I have to say this, my heart is going to lie to me right now. My heart is probably going to lie. It's going to tell me a lie. I cannot follow my heart. I must defy what I feel. One point today, defy what you feel. Defy what you feel. I'm going to die anyway. Defy what you feel. I feel like running, but here's the thing. As a Christian, I know this life is not all that there is. I've got to defy what I feel. So I have to step back. I have to count. I have to consider something. And what am I considering? I'm considering it all joy. Now, why am I considering this all joy? I hate the idea of don't worry, be happy. I don't really like those words. But what am, am, I, am I joyful over the circumstance? No, I'm joyful over the second thing, which is to know, to count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know, and what do you know? What do you know? Well, you can't know this when you're in the midst of it, probably. It's very hard to hear this in the midst of these circumstances, isn't it? They say, you should be joyful over this. Forget you. Get out of my face, right? No, it's, he's saying, you've got to know something, You've got, to, you've got to know that this is, this is 
This is what's actually going on, and what do I know? He says, for, the word for is because, because you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. If you're a Christian who's walking around through life and you don't know this, this is probably one of the first things to know after you become a Christian, like know this, that uh, trials, temptations, these difficulties are testing us and they are producing in us something that's going to be fantastic in our lives. But I can't know that if I haven't thought about it in advance. And so someone like yourself has got to think now and say, what's the disaster that's going to come up? Because either you just got out of disaster, you're in disaster, or it's about to come. Because this is life, isn't it? That's, that's what life is all about. So you better think about it. What's the worst thing that could happen? What's the worst thing that could happen again? And then we've got to, then we've got to say this. I've got, I've got to know something. And what do I have to know? I have to know that God uses these things to create steadfastness in me. He is creating in me a man who's a warrior in my home. He's creating in me a warrior who's willing to fight these battles. He's creating in you, ladies, a woman who has strength in the midst of incredible difficulties. He's creating in you a woman who's able to withstand all kinds of things. That's what he's doing. You must preach to yourself this. You must tell yourself, I've got to defy what I feel. I've got to step back. I've got to defy what I feel and say, my heart wants to go there. And here's what I know. I've got to change what I think. Because here's the thing. My feelings still exist. But guess what? My mind shapes my heart. My mind is able to shape what I, what I feel. My mind is able to make my heart feel in other ways. It won't always follow, but you can begin to shape it. You can be, begin to grab it, and you can be able to say, no, God is using this. I'm not joyful for the circumstances. I'm joyful for what God is going to do in this circumstance. In the moment when you're working out for the first time, not that that's ever happened to me, but... Um, uh, when, you're, when, you're, when you start a training program, I've been thinking about it for several years now, but um, when you start a, a training program and you think about the pain that's going to happen in your life, there's this great difficulty that's, that's beginning to, to well up in you, and you begin to think about it. And the thing, you can sit there and you can say, you can say oh, but the pain, oh, but the pain. And what do we oftentimes say? Like, you've got to have a goal. You know, people do silly things like buy that pair of jeans that you've always wanted to fit into or, or pull the jeans out that you used to be able to fit into and set them in front of you, write it on the wall and say, this is what I'm doing, this is what I'm about. But if you're constantly focused on all of everything bad that's going on, your feelings are in the driver's seat and God isn't leading you in this. So you must be somebody who is prepared to go through the difficulty, the physical pain, the feelings that are going to come about. And you're not joyful for that pain. You're joyful for the result. You're joyful that God is doing something in your life. L listen, if you're fine with the way that things are, you need to reinvestigate as to whether you actually put faith in Jesus Christ. If, if you could get to a place where you say, you know what, I don't want God to do anything in my life. I just want to be fine the way that things are. You may have too much money. You might, there, there may be too many good things going on, but God disciplines those he loves. And so you've got to reevaluate and just say, what, am I going to be ready for this? Am I somebody who wants the workout? Do I want the physical pain in order to be more like Jesus or do I just want things to be fine? 
Do I just want things to be fine? And that's a question we have to ask ourselves. The first thing was to count it all joy. The second thing is to know that testing produces steadfastness. The third thing is, is to let steadfastness have its full effect. When uh, trials come, when temptations come, when difficulty comes, uh, oftentimes our actions, our feelings tell us that we want escape. And escape comes through many different ways. You could escape mentally and just like not be engaged with life. You could just say like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I, I, I'm, I'm gonna act like this never happened. Clearly we have many uh, mental disorders that come about through repeated uh, you know, difficulties and trials. Think PTSD or things like that. That's to disengage. You can't really control that, can you, all the time? Especially during horrific circumstances. But what we can control is we can, we can control how we respond through the things that we ingest, whether it's alcohol or drugs, prescription medication oftentimes, whether it's the, through the escape of, of sex or relationship or just like not engaging with the world and just kind of becoming a hermit or whatever. But what, what uh, James is telling us, he's saying, if you're going to consider it pure joy that God is going to do something fantastic in your life, and know that this is going to create steadfastness in you, then what has to happen is that that process has to go all the way through. Now, this doesn't mean that you would just like try to like stay in the midst of, uh, in, in the midst of difficulty and, and those types of circumstances. It doesn't mean that you wouldn't take an exit out of this thing. If God were to present that, what it does mean is uh, a pastor by the name of Larry Osborne said, he said, he said this, like, if there's no moral or ethical problem with your escape from this solution, then you should go ahead and do that. But if there's a moral or ethical issue, or I would even say emotional issue with this, then you should not do that. You should not escape. Oftentimes we want escape so badly that we're willing to hit the eject button no matter what happens. So I'm going to disengage. I'm going to come home. I'm going to drink more than I should because work is stressful. I'm going to come home or, or I'm just going to, throughout life, I'm just going to pop a couple pills in order to just be okay because I just need to be okay. I have too much stress. This is what it looks like to not let steadfastness have its full effect, but to take on something else, something else from creation, something else, and say, I need to trade that for this pain. Oftentimes when people get hooked on uh, some type of medication or something along those lines, and, and really anything, we discount the rest of our life. And what happens is we never mature in those areas. I remember somebody I knew who was very close to me who had become an alcoholic at a very young age. And basically every time difficulty came, what took place was that they would just drink themselves uh, into a stupor. And as a result, they weren't able to feel the effect of their lives. They weren't able to feel that spending their money and, and, spending, and, and, and blowing their money at strip clubs and, and what, whatnot was, was going to be hurtful towards them. They didn't realize the relationships that were in the wake of their life. And so what was happening was this, is that this person who was supposed to be in their mid-20s was still back in their mid-teens because they had been drinking for many, many years. Now, uh, listen, sometimes we get started in things and we, we had no idea that it was going there. But listen, this is what we are doing when we hit the eject button, when we say, I want out, I need out of this circumstance. We can do it with TV. I'm not against binge watching Netflix. I sh my, my wife was like, hey, I felt like you were talking directly to me because I watched Parenthood incessantly at one point uh, and wh whatever else. And I was saying, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying when we waste our lives away constantly through binge watching Netflix or constantly engaged or disengaged from our world and engaged in Facebook world or social media world, when we're doing those things, this is a way of hitting the eject button and not dealing with the circumstances around us. The fourth thing is this, is to ask. He says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. So what he's saying is this, is he's saying, 
when you're in the midst of a trial, one of the major things that you need is that you need someone to speak into your life. Oftentimes, we're like in these situations and we're like, I've never been in this before. I've never been in a situation where my marriage is falling apart or where uh, we've had this sickness in our family or, um, uh, you know, I lost a job. One of the things that we need is that we need outside information. We need someone to speak into our life. But too often we say, I know what I need to do here. And we go into self-protection mode and our feelings take over. And what needs to happen is this, is that we have to defy what we feel. You have to defy what you feel and you have to say this, I don't know what's best in this situation. I don't know what needs to happen right now. I don't know what needs to take place. All I know is that I need God to speak into this situation. And really what needs to take place is that we have to stop and we, just, and we, we have to ask. We have to ask. And what we're asking is this. We're asking that God would show us how he sees our issues. How he sees what's going on in our lives. The tricky thing with wisdom is that oftentimes we ask and we don't, we don't go along with it. How many times have I been in conversations where somebody has said, I, I'm, I'm struggling with this issue in my life, and I've said, here's some things that you need to do. And they come back and they say, I didn't want to do that. And I say, uh, well, why did you ask me? <laughs> uh, this is awkward, isn't it, right? You took, you, you took a, a half hour or an hour of, of my time. And I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm just saying this, that oftentimes we don't listen. And I'm not saying that I'm God or that I'm God's wisdom. But what I'm saying is this, is that you have godly people around you, hopefully, or you can find them that know the word of God and, 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 can, and can speak to you. When you don't know where to find it in Scripture, they can speak to you and say, you know, this is where you find that in Scripture. Or they're just a godly person and maybe it speaks about something that scripture doesn't really talk about, but maybe scripture talks about the surrounding issues and things. And so we need, we need godly advice in our lives, but oftentimes we don't want to listen. We don't, we don't want to listen to the wisdom of God. And it ultimately comes down to, like, you have to defy what you feel. I remember when I was told that my family was going to fall apart. And then my girlfriend of five years broke up with me. And I, I remember being in the situation where I, I, uh, I was sitting in, in, in my, my truck. I was out in the middle of a farm field, the, the beginnings of a great country song. And I was, uh, I was out there and I was, and I was thinking to myself, I, I, what am I going to do? All of this stuff is coming around me. And I, and I basically said, I opted to say, forget you, God, I'm out. And I walked away, and, and here I am, a person, I'd just gone on this, uh, you know, crazy mission experience. I mean, I'd been growing in Christ, and people had said, Matt, I cannot believe how much you've been growing. Like, it's, it's incredible, and I'm just like, I know, aren't I fantastic? Like, this is so great that God, that I have done all these things for God. And, and uh, I, le I left that field, and I think I went home and smoked weed with, with my brother, who's also an elder here. He stopped smoking weed, I think, but... <laughs> You could ask him that, uh, but it might have stunted his growth. I'm not sure what's, uh, what the story is of that. I don't even know if he's here, but um, that was a great joke. Um, but, uh, I mean, it, it was just like, here I am. I'm this guy who's like walking with Jesus, and then all of a sudden, I'm like, forget it. I'm out. I'm going to disengage, and I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to get smoked out, and then I'm, I'm going to go do whatever I want. And so I kept doing this thing where I was like, life would fall apart. And I, and I would just say, forget you, God, and then I'd go do my own thing. And then I'd wake up one day, and I'd just be like, I'm miserable. I want to be with God. And so I'd go walk with God a little bit, and then everything would fall apart. And then I'd say, forget you, God. I'm going to do my own thing. But isn't that the process of our life oftentimes? You know what James is saying here? James is saying, Matt, you're an idiot. I'm Matt, by the way. I'm, I'm talking to myself. I'm not saying you are an idiot. But I, I, I needed to hear this from God. Like, Matt, you're an idiot. You refuse to listen to me. You refuse to ask me. You refuse to deny your feelings. 
You, you think that you know best, and you know what? It's pride and it's arrogance. I know best what should happen in my life. I know what should take place. God, you owe me this. You owe me peace. You owe me money. You owe me sex. She shouldn't be withholding like that. He should tell me I'm beautiful like that. God, you owe me. But you know what? We don't ask God oftentimes. You know what James says? He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. And what does God do? He gives generously. Why is, why is James saying this? Because we get into the middle. Listen to me here. Listen. We get into the middle of a situation and we say, that's too hard. I'm not doing it. That's too difficult. I won't walk that road. Your feelings are leading you. They're lying to you. You're deceived. I'm deceived. I'm, that's too difficult. I can't do that. And God is sitting there saying, that's the stinking point. You cannot walk this road without me in your life. You cannot do it. Did you see those words there? That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I can't do that on my own because I know myself. I know I've got problems. If any of you lacks wisdom, like perhaps if there's anybody out there who claims to be a Christian who can't just be perfect and complete on themselves, I don't know if there is anybody out there like that, but I'm hoping that maybe somebody who can't figure that out on their own might just come and ask me. God says this, the reason why I'm asking you for this is because I'm holy. But here's what I know. You cannot do it on your own. God says, I want holiness out of you. Yes, the gospel still stands. Yes, the gospel means that I've saved you. But listen to me. It's not so that you would stay in one place. It's so that you would grow. It's so that you would stop looking at porn. It's so that you would stop cheating on your wife or your husband. It's so that you would stop or misspending your money and misspelling words. <laughs> that was such a great point, wasn't it? I mean, it was like, it was, it was getting there. It's, it's so that you would stop this and live like somebody who's growing. Like, is there measurable growth in your life? Is there measurable growth in our lives, Christians? Because we've gotten comfortable. I've gotten comfortable with just saying, gospel, gospel, gospel. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. And so I'm, I'm all in the Jesus paid it all, but I'm not in the all to him I owe. My life sometimes does not reflect what he wants from me. And here's the problem. I don't ask him for advice. So I'm not defying what I feel, but what I feel defines me. But your heart is deceitful above all else. My heart is deceitful. Your heart is lying to you. Do not listen to your heart. Do not. If Jesus was listening to his heart, what would he have done? When Jesus was sitting in, in the garden and he knew that he was going to be crucified, what was going through his mind? God, I can't. It's like, I, I'm, if, if this is your will, okay. He's, he is God in the flesh, but he really has human thoughts and he is troubled to the point where he's sweating blood. It's literally where we get that idea of I'm sweating blood. Jesus is about to go through the most excruciating, and even the word excruciating comes from of the cross, meaning the most horrific way to die. Jesus knows he's walking towards that, and not just towards that, like I'm going to be crucified, but through the, the absolute pain that comes as a result. He's walking through the absolute rejection that's coming 
from his disciples. He's walking through everything that's going on. Like on every level, he's going to be rejected. The entire thing will be a trial and a temptation in his life. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. This is Jesus. He goes to the cross because I'm too weak to do it. He goes to the cross and he takes care of all of my sin. And do you know what that does? It's, it releases you from something. You are not a captive to your own heart. You are a bondservant of Jesus Christ. He owns you, and he says this over your life. Defy what you feel. I am your master, and I will lead you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will die for you. How are we going to respond as a result? This series in James is a must in our lives. Please be here. Please, let's go through this together as a church. If you don't know about Jesus, if you don't know about the church, this is a fantastic place for you to begin to understand who Jesus is and what he's calling you to. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I don't know how many times I've, I've denied you and gone with my feelings, but I'm sure it is without number at this point. But God, I know that you freely forgive that if I confess my sins to you, you are faithful and that you are just to forgive and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So Lord, for those that are here this morning that are fully aware of all of their inadequacies, all of the ways that they've let their feelings lead them, today's a new day. Today's the day to defy what they feel and to ask you and to say, I need God's wisdom in my life. Lord, I pray that that would be true of us. I pray that you would work in that way in our hearts, in our minds. Lord, I pray that this would extend to our entire life, that we would be moved on all levels to serve you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.